We are live. So greetings everyone. Welcome to another Educator Innovator Hangouts on Air. Now tonight is February 1st, 2016 and it is the evening of the Iowa caucuses. And for most people that's the kickoff of the presidential campaign and election season. So we're off and running for 2016. Now we're not here to talk exactly about the caucuses, but we're here to kick off something else that's in some ways related, and that's the Letters to the Next President 2.0 project. I'm your host, Elise Ivan Adol, I'm the Executive Director of the National Writing Project. And tonight we're welcoming several guests who participated in the first Letters to the Next President project, way back in 2008, and to welcome a brand new co-host for the 2016 project. Together tonight we hope to first preview what this project's about, Here's some reflections on how it worked for people and what people did with it back in, 20, uh, in 2008 and highlight some of the great resources connected to this. Now, we're going to have all our guests introduce themselves in a minute, if you'll be patient. But first, we're going to start by welcoming our co-host for this project. Annalise Wunderlich is here representing KQED. Um, Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. KQED is our public media station out here in the Bay Area, and together with the National Writing Project, we're sponsoring this project. She's the Youth Community Manager for KQED. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to start with a short video. I know it's unusual for us at, at Innovator, but this video, we want to thank KQED for mixing this together, gives you a peek into Letters to the Next President well, 1.0 from 2008, and from that we're going to take a springboard into what's going to happen here in 2016. So if you bear with us, take a minute and watch this video. Dear Mr. President, close your eyes and hear the cries of the American people. I come from a middle class family that struggles to make it from paycheck to paycheck. I have a proposal for you. Make health care mandatory for every citizen. These guys are excited because now they have a voice. Four years ago they kept saying, well, why do we care? Nobody cares what we think. We don't have a voice. What's the big deal? Before this project, I really didn't think about political issues because I didn't think it um, to me. It's great to feel like you have a position in society even if you don't have the ability to vote. I believe that if you say we the future then we should have a say so in what goes on in our country also. Letters to the Next President is a wonderful collaboration between the National Writing Project and Google where the students use an online tool of Google Docs ultimately will use that to publish online for a global audience. What are you writing about? What are the issues that you think that McCain, Obama, and the other folks who are running need to know? My topic is education. The economy. Immigration. Healthcare and the economy. War in Iraq. The biggest issue that um, I'm taking a stand on is education because I believe that education is the backbone to everything in America. I want the next president to know about how single parents struggle and like they really can't put food on the table. I just got a car recently and I have to start thinking about gas prices and stuff like that and prices are getting a little heavy. That's why I chose energy.
Thank you. Fabulous. And there you go. A quick look at, uh, at both Letters to the Next President 1.0 and our hopes for 2.0, uh, all of which surrounds a website, letters to, uh, letterstopresident.org that you saw at the end. Um, guests, those of you that participated, I'll bet that really took you back eight years. And so let's hear who you are that we're going to hear, hear from in a few minutes. Um, could you go and introduce yourself? Um, Ellen, let's start with you. Hi, I'm Ellen Shelton. I'm the director of the University of Mississippi Writing Project. And at that time, I was also a teacher at Tupelo High School. Fabulous. Thank you, Chris. My name is Chris Sloan. I teach uh, high school English and media at Judge Memorial in Salt Lake City, Utah. And yeah, in 2008, I was doing much the same I'm doing right now. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Michael. Hi, I'm Michael Thompson. I'm the site director for the Bistai Writing Project in Northwest New Mexico. And back in 2008, I was an English chairperson at Bloomfield High School, uh, a rural co community school in uh, Northwest New Mexico, and was involved in the 2008 project. And of course, all those young people that we saw were high school students, and they are probably now college graduates and on with their lives and families. We'll hear a little bit about that in a second. Um, guess I can't wait to dig more into your work a little bit later, but before we get started, a couple of things for our audience. So first off, those of you who are watching this live, we encourage you to go ahead and participate to uh, post any of your thoughts or questions. There's a Q&A feature embedded in the video player. You can use that. Or you can tweet questions and follow along with the live tweeting using the hashtag, hashtag, the number two, two, next press. We'll be live tweeting this conversation um, through the uh, Innovates Ed, Educator Innovates Twitter handle, Innovates Ed. Please follow and participate. So that's first, if you're watching us now live. Um, and for all of you, just a sense of what that video may have uh, presented to you. Um, one is that uh, that project in 2008 that was co-sponsored with Google was a mass publishing project for young people across the country. As the video said, roughly 10,000 young people wrote in the fall run-up to the election, wrote a letter to the next president. Not a letter that advocated for one candidate or another, but a letter that basically said, whomever it is who's elected, this is what you have to hear from me. These are the issues I'm, I'm concerned about. This is what matters to me and my community, and this is why it's a significant issue for you to address. And that's the Letters to the Next President, Heart and Soul, a mass public publication opportunity for young people that we're going to do again this year in the run-up to the election in the fall. Now, it's Letters to the Next President 2.0. We have a few new bells and whistles we'll be talking about, including lots of things happening this spring. We'll hear about those later in the broadcast and bring Annalise back to talk about some of those. But before we do that, let's go ahead and uh, jump into what that experience was like 
because that was the experience that everybody wanted to reproduce as the core of the project this year. So I'm thinking, Ellen, we saw you, so much of you and your students on the video. Let's start with you. Can, can you talk about a little bit about what that experience was like? Yes, this was by far um, my favorite teaching experience in 15 years in the high school classroom. Um, actually, watching that video, it was like, oh my gosh, I know where these kids are thanks to Facebook and other digital tools. Um, Letters to the Next President did more for developing student voice and really creating civically involved students than anything else we did in the classroom. They were excited, they were energized, they wanted to talk, they wanted to talk when we needed to move on to other things. Um, they were so excited to find new research and find evidence to support their claims, and they knew somebody else was going to be watching them. So that was just incredibly exciting for me. Now, that you actually took quite a leap um, with a project that had at the center of it um, a complex publishing process with Google Docs, which in 08 was extremely new. It was a challenge for a lot of people. But you brought that right into your teaching. Talk a little bit about that. Um, we had already been using a lot of Google Docs. My, my kids loved to use them. They loved um, getting responses from me immediately. Um, later, at some point in the video, they talk about that I only typed in blue and I, that was my color and that was all they could, you know, that was what we were going to do. Um, so my kids were really comfortable with Google Docs. We did, um, and we really focused on argument writing. Um, I was also teaching college courses at the time, and I found that my college students didn't know much about argument writing. Um, which is really what many of them had to do. So we were focusing on um, developing claims and, and uh, supporting the evidence. So Letters to the Next President was actually just a natural transition for us. So then, of course, we had a... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. That's fine. Finish. Well, then, we, um, then of course, here we, comes, here we come with the election. So what, what's more exciting to do than the immediacy of a speech the night before that became the text the next day in the class? Of course, we had to agree to be the purple party. Um, we were not going to discuss who was right or who was wrong. We were simply looking at um, the text itself and what supporting evidence. And was it actually strong, or were we really trying just to play to emotions? So you, uh, so there was a piece of letters to the next president um, the first time around that was about this, as the video says, brand new technology tool, Google Docs which you have been using, but now it's fairly ubiquitous, so uh, people are using that all over the country. And we hope that actually there'll be some new tools, we'll hear about that a little bit later, that people might use this year. But I want to go to that piece that you said was really central, which wasn't the tool at all, it was really argument writing, mm -hmm. um, and then publishing out of argument writing. What, what was that like for your students both to be learning argument and you to be teaching argument? Talk a little bit about that and then publishing it actually for a national audience. Yeah, what was, um, so the, the speeches would become the text the next day. We would break it down. What was the claim? What was the supporting evidence? Is this logical evidence? Uh, again, are we just simply, is it an emotional appeal? And they would look to see, wait, this is a really good speech or, oh, God, we just repurposed something, and it really wasn't adding anything new to the discussion. Um, and so the kids actually were able to pull those as models for their own writing as we would develop small um, arguments about what was happening in our community. Um, at that time, the dress code discussion wasn't quite as, as um, stale as it maybe is now, so we, but we were having discussions about 
well, didn't Tupelo need a skate park? And was there not? A, why didn't we have a place for the kids to go? So we were really talking about the local context. So when the letter to the next president came around, it was like, wait, we we can really talk about this on a national level. What does it really mean? What also became interesting is the kids realized they were trying to write to so many different um, topics that you know they, their claims were just kind of splatter claim. So what they realized was, oh. I really have a stronger voice if I can write to one claim about health care. I remember um, Matt talked, to, he tried to write about 12 different things. I said, well, what's really important to you? He said, well, you know, my mom has MS. There's not enough research. And I said, why are you not writing about that? Let's make that your central argument. One of the best pieces he wrote the entire year. So so I see that you were you were using all of that, um, that first off, I hear you, like taking all of that rhetorical information, all of that stuff that surrounds us on TV, in the newspaper, that we're going to see during the election season, it's already started, using that as both mentor texts or critical texts mm -hmm. um, to better see what the arguments that are that are being made by the parties and by the candidates, but then really leading young people to discover their own issue. Mm -hmm. um, and that that I I can say that was for me a very powerful part of the film that they were very individual in what they connected with and what they were going to write about. Would you talk a little bit more about that process of them finding their issue in a way? Well, for some of my students, they were really you know they were 16, they were getting cars, the the price of oil became an issue. Um, you know, that was being discussed, but you had kids also going, wait, why are we not talking about this? Where's the middle class in this? Why aren't we talking more about research and medical? Um, you know, we're talking about healthcare, but what does that really mean for finding new, um, new treatments for MS or for diabetes? Why are we not talking about some of these crucial issues? Well, you know what, it's because they're not really sexy to talk about and people really that's, that's hard. That's a really dis difficult decision, so why don't I start talking about that? Um, a lot of discussion about education. They were really worried about where they were going to go and could they afford college. Um, and wait, what would that education actually do for them in the long run? Um, actually, several of the kids, the, the two young ladies you saw in the video, both are now educators. Um, so. It's, it's interesting to see where their paths went. Um, Mary wrote um, about research on animals and was that ethical or not and why are we not talking about this. Now she's actually working on her PhD in psychology and guess what? She's working with mice. So it's really interesting to see how their subjects actually morphed into their career decisions. Interesting, interesting. So before we go on, just one last piece I think um, and then then whatever you'd like to share later, I hope we have a great discussion period at the end. The, it sounds like you created for this project, even though it's a writing and publishing project, it feels to me like it's sitting in the middle of a lot of discussion activity happening in the classroom. We saw you in the film, those students sitting in a circle. Is that really sort of what it was like for you? That's exactly what it was like. That was my classroom. Just added a few more desks to get, I think we had 30-something kids in that room. My largest classes were usually 28, so just a few more. Yeah, um, everything was discussion. Let's talk about what we saw, Socratic seminar focus, because that's actually what helped the kids think about what they wanted to say, and they got to, and you know, at, early in the year, you create that respectful tone. Like I said, we reinforced the Purple Party a lot. You know, hey, I don't really care if that's right or wrong. Let's talk about what it says. 
and uh, what does that ultimately mean in terms of the argument and just having that talk as part of the pre-writing process was so vital to helping them think about I actually saw some kids turn um, from one political stance to another and saying wait a second hold it I never thought about that side of it why aren't we talking about that well I heard somebody talking about that but it didn't get a lot of airtime. so they would bring in discussions they started watching if I didn't watch some speech they were on my case about it like oh my gosh did you not see what so-and-so said last night um, or let's look at this that they walked in wanting to talk about it and I'm like no 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 guys we actually need to talk about this I know we are talking about this so after a while you just kind of quit fighting that and say this is where the energy is going and let's make this the best argument lesson we can so so what are your hopes for 2016 oh man I was so excited to hear this come around again um, and what was my hopes um, for 2016 that teachers use this as a jumping off tool to think about where um, where are their kids in this universe? I think a lot of times we dismiss and say, oh, well, they're not interested in this. My kids were so interested in finding out what was going on in the world and why it was important to them. Um, one of my former students, you didn't see her on the video, I think she's a little bit later, Anna is now teaching at Tupelo High School. Um, she was going to be in this webinar, but unfortunately she had to work tonight. Um, but she is thrilled to be able to take her kids through this process because they found a voice. They found... Um, that people did care about what kids from Mississippi had to say. Um, they were really excited, even to even just a couple of months ago, um, another writing project director, when they heard this come out, asked me for some sample papers and some of the prompts that we used. And so I put it on all called on Facebook and said, hey, I don't have a lot of your links anymore. Does anybody still have their papers? And I got back about 15 to 20. Oh my gosh, I love this. Please use this with other educators. So Tom Meyer got them all in um, Hudson Valley, and they were, just to see them so excited about it, this length of time later, that was one of the best things I ever wrote, or I was so excited about that, I want other kids to do this. So please let other educators use this. So I, I have this somewhere. <laughs> Thank you, Ellen. That's, that's so extraordinary. That's, and I think there'll be a lot of classrooms uh, that will feel very much like yours. Um, we could move to Chris, though. Chris, your situation is a little different. It sort of shows how adaptable Letters to the Next President can be to different kinds of teaching contexts. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about that, but then also if you could tell us a little bit in the first round, uh, first round of Letters to the Next President, you also created and shared a lot of your curriculum and teaching materials with other educators. That's a theme I'd love us to pick up a little bit more too in Letters to the Next President 2.0, some of the resources that we can share together. Would you talk about your experience in, in 2008 a bit and some of those resources? Sure. Um, so in 2008, um, just like now I think um, it's kind of interesting that we ended with Ellen on kind of this conversation uh, part of things because um, what I noticed at the at the end of the Bush presidency was that uh, online dialogue or just dialogue on the street was starting to get uh, nasty, right? And so it's a trend that we've seen and we continue to see it that. Uh, especially as social media and anonymity online is continued. Um, you know, online dialogue, I don't think anyone will disagree that it seems to get, you know, 
a lot of people say it's getting worse every year, but it's definitely not productive in general, and I'm thinking of adults here. Uh, adults really uh, don't do a good job, and I'm, you know, politicians too, of talking about issue, it's more, you know, personal attacks and that kind of thing. And so um, in 2008, it was this politically charged atmosphere because there, you knew there was going to be a next president. As opposed to 2012, where it's like, you know, it's possible that this president will be reelected. I think 2008, there was a special energy around that time because people wanted something different uh, in a lot of ways. And so um, a lot of my students, I don't know which came first. Was it, you know, like the writing about politics or their interest in politics already? But a lot of them were volunteers on campaigns. And even though they weren't eligible to vote, uh, they would go try to collect signatures and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so it was a really, like, everybody was into it at the time. So I, it didn't take much for me to become, uh, or to see the opportunity to get students uh, writing about things that they cared about. And we all know, you know, when they write about things they care about, they write really well. So, um, you know, I incorporated that into my class, or I brought in some resources. Um, one of them... Uh, a resource that I brought in is an old book. It was written back in 2007, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 2007. Uh, unspun. And so um, I'll put a link to that book. Um, and so the examples in there, though, are dated. They're from the 2004 election cycle. And um, so what I'll have my students do in 2008, and then I've done it actually since then, is they just update the examples in the book to see, you know, where those things are playing out. So the book is unspun, and it's looking at uh, disinformation. And, um, you know, for the example, one technique is frame it, claim it. You know, if I'm good with language, uh, then I can state the issue in terms that I think are, are palatable for, for the, you know, voting population. And so we analyze the language of politics and just try to come up with examples from, it'll be 2016, those things that uh, the authors cited in 2004. And, and Chris, just to mention that the authors are the folks behind the uh, factcheck.org website. So this is very central um, information and misinformation and disinformation is central to their work. Right, so factcheck.org and then factcheckedorg are two good resources that I used uh, with my students last time to kind of, you know, unspin political language. Um, and of course, you know, like George Orwell, pretty big uh, in that time. Just, I mean, 1984, but also politics and the English language are important things to be uh, looking at, examining, because I think Orwell also was a student of language, and I think the kids kind of like studying language. Um, um, I'm going to teach Shakespeare's Julius Caesar uh, in the fall of 2016, because I think, obviously, study of uh, leadership there. And then I also use, uh, you know, great speeches like, you know, JFK and uh, inaugural address and Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg address. Um, so I do, I'll also put in a link to um, a resource that I'm putting together right now for my own students um, and other teachers if they want to do it too. Um, on youth voices. So back in 2008, we were, you know, we've been, Paul Allison and I have been, uh, you know, developing youth voices for a long time. In 2008, I was looking back and there's things archived the students wrote that are still there 
from 2008. Um, but I did. I just dropped something in the chat room, a link about, um, you know, uh, one, I think, easy way to get students to write the argumentation that Ellen was talking about, um, and then, um, you know, what to do with it uh, after that. So I, I, I would say an important part is how we're going to publish things. In 2008, you know, the letter was good, um, but obviously, and we'll talk more about this as we go, but there's a, a lot of other ways that we can talk about or, or spread, the students can spread their message via social media, and I'm thinking things like KQED's Do Now and Twitter, um, and they can also, you know, I teach media production too, so um, they can also construct compelling uh, multimedia things, whether they be uh, videos or um, infographics. So Chris, I, wanna, I want you to talk a little bit more about that in a second, but before we move into that, uh, just not to miss that, uh, for, for our audience to miss that um, contrast, in sense we saw in Ellen's classroom, probably a kind of classroom, wonderful classroom that people are imagining could be connected to argumentation writing, finding issues, looking for evidence, preparing the letter. That was probably something in lots of our minds, um, and the video opened that up as well. But you're also talking about how this could be linked, for example, to a classic study of Julius Caesar, a literature classroom. So it's not necessarily that Letters to the Next President requires people to you know, just do an entire class which is built around a different type of teaching or a different curriculum area, the question of how that assignment in a way to, to publish about something that matters to you uh, as a result of this could fit into other areas. There's no reason why that couldn't happen. So I really appreciate those examples. Probably a lot of people weren't thinking about how could this fit with literature, et cetera. Right. I, I guess it always comes back to uh, how relevant is great literature. And it always speaks to what matters to us right now. You know, we just have to let it breathe. So you mentioned uh, some multimodal publication and also social media. We're going to spend more time talking about that. That is part of the 2.0 reboot of Letters to the Next President. We'll hear about that near the end of the program, but just to name some of the things that you have, that your um, students do kind of regularly, could you give us some examples of some of the multimedia things your students produce? Sure. Um, they um, obviously do videos, but you know we could do videos back in a long time ago. Um, I think uh, infographics are getting easier to do, and there's some online, um, you know, uh, templates or applications that uh, make those things easier. Um, and I think really, though, to me, it's the ways we have conversations now that are different. So I students can create their thing whatever it is, and they can push that multimedia out via social media and have conversations about it, but then those conversations are recursive, and so those conversations lead to more media making. Um, but it's all, to me, what's really different about 2008 and 2016 is the ways that we can have conversations around the students' um, messages. It's fabulous. Thanks, Chris. And, and goes all the way back to that uh, thought that you had at the beginning about political discourse online, mm -hmm. which, as you were saying, has only gotten perhaps um, a harsher place to be than in 08. With adults, 
I'm going to say my students are always more mature than the adults <laughs> that are supposed to be mentoring them in online dialogue. Yeah. Let's move to you, Michael, um, and uh, tell us a little bit about your context because one of the things, uh, uh, your place uh, and your location is a big part of um, actually why this was a pretty significant opportunity for Youth Voice for You. Would you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, I, I live and work in northwest New Mexico and um, very rural communities in our area. Um, we're very tricultural here. We have uh, large Anglo, Hispanic, and Native communities. Primarily the Navajo tribe are the Native communities, but we have Apache and Utes uh, in southern Colorado. So it's a very diverse and rich um, uh, heritage in this area. But like many rural places that are isolated, it's very difficult sometimes for our students to feel like they're part of the national conversation. They feel marginalized. Um, much of what they see in media and television and movies is not about them or people like them. And I think many times it's hard for them to feel like they're being heard or their concerns are being heard. They don't see them represented on television and, and um, in the news very much. So when this opportunity came up in 2008 to engage in this project with my students, uh, we had a couple of things to figure out. And one of them was the technology. It was, it was um, um, my students in my classroom, unlike Alan's, was, were not used to using Google Docs. It was a brand new venture for, for, for us to jump into that. Uh, And we're sure that Michael will get Michael the back. struggles that we had in the... Michael, I think we're seeing some of your bandwidth issues, so you may want to say that last sentence again. Okay, let me move it up a little bit. It's a good um, example of some of the challenges of your play. Yes. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Um, so... Technical difficulties were an obstacle uh, in the beginning, but my students were so excited about the possibility of engaging in a new um, technology and with the possibility to have a national audience for things that they had written uh, that they quickly became very excited about the entire project. And um, we did much of the things that one would typically do in engaging in political argument um, we looked at some of the major concerns that would happen in any um, um, area of, of political debate, especially in 2008. Um, there were issues among my students and in our community around involvement um, in Afghanistan and in Iraq. Uh, we have a lot of people who are military and, and families uh, that have veterans in them, so those were concerns. The gas prices at the time uh, were, were an obstacle for many of our students. Um, but I think one of the things that happened very quickly uh, in, as my classroom began to engage in talking about what were the topics of political discussion and where did they stand on those topics, um, they really became encouraged about making their arguments personal. And I think that was a huge step uh, both for them and for me as their teacher, um, 
because I began I began to see them find the issues that mattered the most to them and for some they were incredibly personal they were things like health care issues among someone in their family who was dealing with the catastrophic illness it was students um, worrying about a brother or a sister that was serving in the military uh, it was um, people who were concerned about their parents who were being laid off uh, I had students who were part of the LGBTQ community who maybe never had had an opportunity to personally express their concerns about um, their identity uh, and how that might play out in some kind of national political arena and so I, I watched them grapple with all of the things that one does in argument writing but in the end I saw them begin to uh, find their voice by finding what personally mattered the most to them and this opportunity to write these letters in a very personal voice and to focus as often as Ellen said uh, on you know one or two issues not to, to address the spectrum of political debate but to find the thing that mattered the most to them was um, I think um, a revelation to them that one could construct an argument about what matters to you personally in life and um, and also for you know students who represent uh, cultural beliefs whether they be Hispanic or Native American um, there were issues there that students were able to express that they felt um, they were speaking uh, in an important way from an identity that often didn't get heard and so in all of those ways um, I think the the experience for my students being able to post their letters um, on that big national map and then sometimes to invite friends or family to go to that map and look up their letter and read it uh, and and then to read the other letters of students from around the country uh, who shared similar concerns um, all of those things made it an incredibly rich experience that um, happened over time uh, and then I think as Alan said it, they were memorable to those students it, um, they look back on that and and they say those that was one of the best projects that they ever engaged in their school year so um, and, and all of those ways uh, I felt that I learned a lot my students learned a lot and I'm very much looking forward to this next cycle um, I'm going to share this uh, opportunity with I work in teacher education so I have a lot of my teacher students who are in a lot of schools in our area and I'm going to make sure they all know about the opportunity um, and um, we'll see where it goes from here. Thank you, Michael. That's great. I, I want to just highlight a few of the things um, that you said uh, just to help our audience get a sense of what the, the core of the project was. You mentioned the website. So before we segue to Annalise to hear about some of the new elements that we want to bring to the project this year, for all three of you and the other about 800 schools that participated and many more than that the teachers ultimately about 10,000 young people the core of the experience is the opportunity to publish uh, at that time a piece of writing and it was in, in the first round uh, simply writing at that point an argument uh, a, with whatever um, capacity you wanted to bring to it um, whatever passion, whatever evidence, an argument for an issue that the next president should pay attention to. 
And that website that lets each young person have a page to publish opened for young people to start publishing in um, August in that time at the end of the last convention. We had our two candidates and now the website opens for young people to publish their letter and it closed on, the, on election day. The site remains open and actually remained open for many years. People could read letters, put letters together into different combinations, see how young people thought. But at the core of it is this publication opportunity where every young person has his or her page to publish and a number of ways that you can examine what young people thought. You mentioned, Michael, the, um, the map. You could drill down and be featured by your location. You could see who else was writing around you. Um, you could have, um, you would tag your work, and so you could find people by tag for issue that, um, an issue or an area that was common to them. And then there were a number of other ways that parts of letters could be um, featured in the website to help people find each other, read each other's letters. Michael, it sounded like, um, like that was a big part of what you did, reading, both sharing, but then also reading other young people. Right. I, I think that the, um, you know, having written, one wants to know what one's audience might think. And so you become the audience of other writers. So you go and you see what they said, you compare it to your own writing. And I saw my students engaging in that uh, a great deal. Um, I would want to echo one thing that Chris said, um, his interest in infographics and his work with his students. Uh, I too think that that is a, an area um, ripe for development among students and schools, putting together information in formats that make it um, much more accessible um, and, and to add that as a component to written arguments. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that aspect, possible aspect in this next iteration. Well, that's a, a perfect segue. Thank you, Michael, for moving on over to Annalise. Um, when uh, Annalise and her colleagues at KQD and the range of us here at the National Writing Project uh, got together and started to think, uh, should we dive into this thing again for 2016 and decided ultimately that we would, there were a few things that we wanted to make sure uh, we built into this, so much so that we want to call it Letters to the Next President 2.0. And actually, this picks up some of what people are asking for. So, Annalise, would you talk a little bit about some of how it's going to be different this time? Yeah. Well, um, as a public media organization, um, we were really thrilled to partner with National Writing Project and all the other great partners for this iteration because of the opportunity here to really bring multimodal uh, communication skills to students around the country and to really bring the, the skill sets that we have here as a media organization and the resources that we um, create in our education department to teachers around the country who are hoping to teach argument writing through various forms of media. So um, we feel like this is really connected learning at its finest and we're really excited um, with this iteration of Letters to the Next President to uh, provide some learning opportunities for both teachers and students about how they can um, make the most of different media formats and digital uh, tools that are out there right now in 2016 to help students really hone their voice and share their voice 
in kind of new and innovative and exciting ways. Um, and, and really how to reach those standards around um, helping kids understand different kinds of texts and the potentiality of different kinds of texts to get your message across. So everything from video to audio production to learning how to use different kinds of social media platforms to get your voice out there and connect to others, um, that'll all be a really strong emphasis for all of us now in this iteration of Letters to the Next President. So um, let me let me interrupt for one second just to make sure that yeah. it's clear um, and the, the audience. So if that means in the publication opportunity this fall, first off, uh, young people will be able to publish multimedia products as well as pieces of text. So both will be welcome. So the site will not simply need to be um, as it was before a text-based site. To get there, though, to help more people be able to work together with young people to publish a wider range of things, if you want to do that, uh, there's a bunch of learning opportunities also that you were um, that you were referring to because uh, we as adults may actually want some uh, some opportunity to learn more ourselves about multimedia production in order to help the young people we work with. And KQED is going to is really pulling together a lot of great resources on that. Would you say a little bit more specifically about then this learning piece for educators in the run up to publication? Okay. Yes. The uh, hosting a series of media making activities to help students hone some skills and give teachers some supports on helping their students learn some multimedia skills. So our first activity that we'll be launching next week will be a, a call for student videos, um, short videos around um, election issues that matter the most to them. So kind of speaking to what Michael was talking about, finding that personal relevance for students and how these kind of big national issues are playing out in their own backyards and their own lives and sharing videos um, about that. Then we will also have an infographic making challenge um, where students are learning how to use different kinds of data visualization tools that are out there to um, express their stand on issues that they care about. And then we also will have a media making activity around political art and um, featuring a video that KQD is producing around what makes element, what are the elements of really powerful political art and how can students um, practice making their own art. And then our ongoing tool um, that we have will be a monthly series of Do Now um, social media activities where we will be taking deep dives into some of the key election 2016 issues like immigration, gun control, um, the climate, um, the environment, um, and we'll be featuring media resources about those issues, creating discussion prompts um, designed to get uh, students using their argumentation skills and using different kinds of media to respond, um, but really leveraging the power of social media for them to share their responses with each other around those discussion prompts. So definitely check out the Letters um, to the Next President website where we'll be announcing all of these opportunities and resources as we roll them out. So that's a great way to talk about some of those um, 
ways that people can get involved, and then we'll open it up uh, to a larger discussion for the group. But I'll name them now since you just did. So in this year, Letters to the Next President 2.0, in addition to an expanded publication opportunity that lets young people also post multimedia products in the fall, we have a whole run-up of things, opportunities to learn and participate to get um, assistance and think about maybe learning some new tools yourself, um, ways to take deeper dives into the issues, and activities even for young people to participate in this spring. And we're bringing them to you, both KQED and NWP, but also a growing set of partners who have signed up to basically say, yes, let's make some learning opportunities available for people in the spring and summer in the run-up to this big publication project. And you can find out about all of those at the website letters to number two, letters to president.org. And that's a site that's going to, uh, during the spring and summer, show you what kinds of learning opportunities are coming up, give you links to great resources that you can use. You can also follow the hashtag to number two, to next prez with a Z or follow, um, uh, follow that hashtag and follow the handle at 2NextPrez to get all the tweets that are pointing towards resources, the kinds of things that Chris talked about where teachers are sharing curriculum, partners are making resources available until the showcase site opens up in the fall. So if you go and sign up at letters2president.org, you'll get a monthly roundup of all the resources and learning opportunities in the month ahead. So we urge you to do that, to get involved. But before that, um, with a few more minutes, just to open up again to um, the, our, uh, our guests about some of the things that you might be thinking about or perhaps sharing and talking about in the run-up to the showcase site in the fall. So any of you and Annalise, do feel free to come back and talk more about things like Do Now, et cetera, in that last phase that we have. Any of you want to share some of what you're thinking or might share with colleagues? Chris, looks like you may be thinking about some stuff there. <laughs> you can tell I was thinking. <laughs> uh, so um, one of the things, though, I think that's hard for my students, and I, I suspect it's true of a lot of people's students, is like we can say, like, choose the most important issue, but for them to get up to speed, I think a lot of them are overwhelmed with what, you know, like, you want me to do the most important issue. I'm not too sure uh, about all of the issues because they're overwhelmed with, you know, like I said earlier, spin and just information. Um, so I think I'm interested in kind of scaffolding the process to get them to the point where they feel like they know enough about an issue to talk about it. So partly, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in, like with Youth Voices, the process that we go through to learn things. But um, that process is really um, easier said than done. So I, I'd like to make sure that we spend a little time, we don't have much time, but you know, as we share our resources, like how do we get kids up to that level where they, they feel confident enough to talk about issues? And you know, like one of the things that I would suggest is like the Do Now uh, program that Annalise is talking about, like they need to regularly talk about these issues and read about them. And, and so I think resources like that have helped my students. I don't know about Ellen or Michael. Actually, yeah, the, I love the do nows. Um, I wish we had them around in 2008 because um, we we check them out all the time. Um, I use them in my college classes, 
So um, it works really well. I'm also thinking about the um, College Ready Writers Program and the materials that are there. A lot of teachers, especially in 2008, we didn't have many materials um, about how to teach argument. And if you weren't familiar with it, it was intimidating. And actually, I found a lot of teachers are still incredibly intimidated by that. So the materials that are available on the College Ready Writers site, um, we've been using as part of the I3 work for the past couple of years. And we're watching these kids that never, that really writing for them was a response to how was your weekend. Um, now at this time of the year, they're writing these amazing letters about, I don't ever want to wear this type of tennis shoe again because it's actually supporting uh, slave labor in another country. So um, it, it helps the teachers have, it gives the teacher skills, it gives the kids um, authentic sort of context. That'll help them make the leap to these larger um, discussions that are happening in the political spheres. So a big plug for the CRWP materials because I've seen them at work and they're amazing. And that's College Ready Writers Program. We'll be putting links to all of this, and these are some of the resources that we'll be sharing over the course of Letters to Next President. Yeah, Annalise or Michael? Michael. I'll, I'll give a shout-out to the College Ready Writers Program. I've been uh, working with that a little bit recently in some of the schools in our area. Um, and one of the fundamental pieces that's on that website involves the uh, development of text sets. And I do think that there's an opportunity here in an election cycle and in a heavy uh, political um, atmosphere for teachers. My, my own experience with tech sets is you don't have to start very big, but if you have students who are interested in, you know, what are some of the sources for information about gun control, you can put together a tech set of four to six pieces, and that's just the start. And then um, they can add to that on their own, and, and the same with a number of other issues. Um, but I, I, I'm a big believer in the value of t good tech sets and getting students a, a starting point. And I think um, wise teachers will go out and put together a few. That's fabulous. Annalise. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our partners, um, Hypothesis, too, because I'm really excited about the potential for. Uh, the tool that they provide, which is um, an online collaborative annotation tool that has a social layer so that students can, for example, um, deconstruct together in a collaborative way a speech from a political candidate. And there's this layer that comes on top of the text where they can highlight sections of the text and engage in um, a chat on the side where they can comment and interact with one another um, around that highlighted text. And I think that's a really powerful scaffolding tool um, to kind of go along with what Chris was saying about building and scaffolding the skill sets for students to do kind of that deeper media analysis. So I'm really excited to see some of these live annotation events that we've talked about partnering with Hypothesis to integrate into um, Letters to the Next President. Um, it's sort of a new, for me that's something very innovative um, that I'm curious to explore and see how students respond to and see how teachers respond to as a great tool that they can bring into their practice. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that, uh, my students are using Hypothesis in the classroom now. So, you know, what's the difference between the way we, I grew up annotating, which was pencil on my paper, so I would go back and reread, versus social annotation where a group of people are annotating the same document 
uh, and discussing it. So, you know, like it's different than tweeting about it. It's different than putting a blog uh, comments on a document. So I'm interested in, in how that's different and what that does for students too. So I have to say for any of us who are watching right now who uh, maybe uh, to say for myself might have been a former high school teacher and isn't a high school teacher right now, uh, we're sort of uh, chatting and tweeting about how we're going to miss having students around <laughs> in the next few months because it's so exciting to amaze this. Uh, it's so amazing to think about this. So I want to name a couple of things as we're, we're running here out of time. If you heard anything, audience, uh, anything that made you say, wow, I wonder what that is. What is the social reading? What is hypothesis? Who are these partners? Um, I encourage you to please go sign up. We're going to have opportunities to learn about all of these different things and to play with these tools, uh, to learn them for ourselves, and then to figure out how to bring them into our classrooms in the run-up to the publication site. That's first off. Lots of open learning opportunities and completely adaptable. Um, the second thing I'd say is that this whole operation, the Letters to the Next President project, is really being made by teachers and support organizations for ourselves. So unlike the first time, there's not a large external cross, um, sponsor. We're sponsoring it very much out of our own efforts from Educator Innovator. So it really can be the thing that we make of it. Um, and I think that's um, pretty interesting and pretty significant during an election cycle that this is a way that we as educators in effect can take up a common uh, opportunity for our young people and really make it work for them and for us. Um, last piece, we work very hard to uh, make sure that, that the Letters to the Next President publication site and resources really about supporting the young people to talk about their view of the world. Uh, it is not a partisan website. We will work very hard um, to keep it that way. It is a place to hear from young people what they're really thinking, what their most reasoned, well-researched, and passionately held opinion might be at that particular time. And so it really is a platform for them and for their voice, and we're all committed to that. So we wonder, um, for all of you in the nation during this uh, very interesting and already off to quite a start <laughs> uh, presidential election, uh, if we took up this common question, what happens when hundreds, maybe thousands of teachers make it possible for thousands of students to be able to share what the matter of concern that they're holding deepest um, during this election season, what happens? What resources would we find that would help us? Let's share them. Uh, what opportunities and partners can we can connect to to make this happen? Let's find them. And let's see, Teachers of America, what happens if we work together to put this platform there for our young people? Uh, if you're interested in that, we encourage you to go right on over to letters number two, letters2president.org, and sign up. Guests, thank you so much for sharing your experiences. That's really been wonderful. And hope to see you all and lots of members of the audience over the coming almost year. Thank you. Thanks.